Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. My name is Jonah, and I am joined by my co-host, Ben. Hey, how's it going? And today we are joined by a friend of ours. His name is Patrick, and he is part of our game group. Hello, everybody. All right. So, uh, Ben, still in Florida, I gather? Yes, sir. Uh, not the best time to be in Florida, it seems, based on the number of uh, COVID cases spiking. But Yeah, I saw like 4,500 new ones this past week. Look, man, we were in Tampa this past weekend, like, driving through, and they reopened the bars last weekend, and they were spilling out onto the street. They were so crowded. So I'm not surprised at all. That's ridiculous. But, yeah, yeah people are stupid. Let's I was driving it. through Highland Park yesterday, and one of the streets is blocked off, and they have, like, eight socially distanced picnic tables for the restaurants to use because i think you can do outdoor seating for a lot of restaurants right now at least in new jersey but uh i don't know i'm not trying to go out and sit at a restaurant for quite some time still i think we went we went to our first uh sit down dinner the other day at really yeah that's why we were in tampa we went to a uh, steakhouse in tampa but they did a very good job of distancing people so like the room typically when you go into that dining area that room typically has like 10 tables mm-hmm. and that they had three and wow, the, yeah. the servers would wear gloves to pick food up from your table they're literally not allowed to touch anything you've touched without gloves and they change their gloves each time they come back out from the kitchen and they mm-hmm. all wear masks. So we felt okay seeing that, like with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, then we, then we went out into Tampa driving home and we saw the mess and yeah, that was that. Yeah, that's a lot of work to get uh, a steak. It's almost worth learning, learning to cook it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, be, really. to be fair, it's one of the best steakhouses I've ever been to. So it was, What's it called? It. it was worth it. It's called Burns B. E-R-N-S. Oh, haven't heard of it, but I'll check it out in, uh, you know, 2025 when I go out to a restaurant again. Well, if you ever come visit me down here, <laughs> it's, it's great. So, And Patrick, what have you been up to lately? Uh, you know, not much. I, I've been as much as possible. Last time I was out, I went to ShopRite and I decided to go out like at 11.30 p.m., which was perfect. The store was completely empty. Yeah, nice. Jessica and I, a couple weeks ago, I think I mentioned we're doing grocery shops once a month. And we did shop right at like 8 p.m. on a Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure enough, it was dead. Yeah. yeah. The the Walmart down the road from us is typically a 24 hour Walmart, which is super nice, by the way. And uh, they have a grocery section and everything. It's like a mega Walmart. Uh-huh. Um, and they close at 8:30 now. It's very frustrating. Oh, weird. Oh, I don't Got know that now's the right time to do that. Maybe exactly. for deep. Nightly cleaning or something? Maybe, but I've gotten conditioned to it being open 24 hours. So my brother and I were like, we need some food. And we went over at like 1130. And they knocking had, on the door. No, they, <laughs> Let us they, in. No, they literally still have people like to turn you away. Oh, that's really weird. I mean, people are getting paid to do it. Yeah, but they're paying these salaries and not getting any revenue. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, whatever. whatever. Walmart can afford it. Yeah, yeah. right. Mega, mega corpse. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, let's get started on the games that we played in the past week. Ben, why don't you start us off? What'd you play in the past week? 
Sure. Uh, as you both know, in the past week, uh, I have played with you uh, the game Orléans. I think I'm oh, pronouncing excellent that. Excellent French, as, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Impressive. I've never taken a lick of French. so <laughs> I, took, I took Italian and Latin, in case you guys were wondering. Latin, not as useful as Italian. And I didn't learn much Italian. So Well, next time when we play Lorenzo Il Magnifico, you can lead us off on that. I could tell you the first word means Lorenzo. <laughs> All right, um, so tell us about Orléans. Okay, so uh, I guess it's, if I had to describe it from playing it, it's a, a neat little play on worker placement games, um, but you're also drawing your workers out of a bag. Um, mm-hmm. And you place them in various locations on your player board in order to do specific actions, and then you move around uh, this little map board collecting resources, and uh, that determines your points at the end of the game. Um, All right, so the goal is just get resources that will be turned into points? No, there are a few more uh, goals of the game. So you can build what are called guild halls, and mm-hmm. uh, when you build these guild halls, you you leave them on one of the cities on the map. And what's interesting about it is in every city except for Orléans, uh, only one person can build a guild hall. So you're kind of like also vying for control of the board. And Mm -hmm. that comes back at the end of the game because depending on how far you up, far up a certain track you are, um, you will like multiply that value by a milestone you hit. So -hmm. like you want to control the most locations um at least that's how i played it there are many ways to go um how long does it take to learn uh honestly i was very nervous because when i was learning it it said that there's seven phases per round and 18 rounds yeah it it only took 10 minutes to learn i mean the the watch it played video if Mm -hmm. you use watch it played like i do religiously is 18 minutes long, and I skipped the setup because we were playing on Tabletop Simulator online, and it sets right. up for you. So it took me probably 10 minutes to learn. All right, and it only took us about two hours to play, right? Yeah, it it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't bad. And the first, I mean, the first what? The first six rounds went by in probably like 20 minutes because yeah, it was a lot faster than I thought. It was yeah, my first time yeah. playing. Same for both of you, right? Yeah. And Patrick, this was your suggestion. So what did you think of the game? It was my suggestion. It's always been one of those famous games that I always wanted to try that a lot of people seem to love. And mm-hmm. I like the mechanics of it. I think the core mechanic of building your bag and choosing your actions is very interesting. My problem with the game, though, was that there are only two or three points where you interact with the other players. Yeah, it was a little too heads down for me. Yeah, the the thing over guild halls, that was interesting. Yeah. And then the place where you send your workers off to uh live in the town yeah. um there's only limited spots that people can use yeah and then you're like also we don't even interact with the main board that often yeah hmm. uh, you you really only interact with it when you decide what type of worker you're going to put in your bag hmm. um i mean i know anyway, we have a little Patrick. oh yeah sorry continue oh, no no problem you're also vying for these citizen and yep. that was an interesting part where maybe someone was really close to getting one, so you had to adjust your actions to steal it from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they well, multiply your points at the end of the game. Nick, right, it's kind Nick of like with Scythe me. and the stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if Nick didn't block me from that guild hall citizen... So you get a citizen at the end of the game if you have the most guild halls on the board. 
And uh, our other friend, Nick, who was playing with us, was the only person who could potentially tie me for the number of guild halls. And of course, in the last turn, he did tie me, which means <laughs> I did not get that citizen, and I would have won the game had I gotten that citizen. But to be fair, <laughs> Nick also gave me another citizen basically for no reason earlier in the game, so it evened out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a game where it's a little finicky, too, with the turn order, because you're planning your actions without really interacting with anybody until you decide that it's important that you need to know what someone else is doing, and then you have to go in turn order, so you yeah, see right. what it, other people are planning. It's kind of game. weird to not care what anyone else does for 75% of the game. Yes, yes. It yeah. doesn't help my enjoyment of the game, but I... Uh, I think famously among us hate Splendor because you just sit there and stare down for half an hour and then look up and say, okay, good game. <laughs> yeah, that's basically how I felt with this too, except for those rare moments when we had yeah. to wait for each other to do a turn. So because right. it mattered. <laughs> and I think, I think overall... it was also amplified because we played on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. I mean, a yeah. heads down experience in the real world, you at least see the people you're playing with, but on the computer, mm-hmm. it's just like yeah. you're really almost solo gaming at that point. Right, right. I think overall I I did enjoy it, but it Mm -hmm. wouldn't be my top choice to play again. I think I agree with you guys on the multiplayer solitaire type aspect to it and very heads down nature, but I thought it was an interesting concept that Oh, definitely. I'm glad we tried it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I did like the game and the solitaire part is really fascinating. Right, yeah, there really were definitely the things mechanics. in it. Yep. All right, Ben, what else did you play this week? Uh, the other game that I played this week uh, was Tang Garden. Oh, I've seen that, that pretty. on yeah. Kickstarter or something? I don't know. Yeah, so long story short, I backed the game on Kickstarter, but apparently my completion of the Pledge Manager never went through, and I got, and I had the option to pay late to get the various Kickstarter exclusives, mm-hmm. but at a much higher price through the publisher because I emailed them like, why didn't I get a confirmation that it's shipping or anything like that? And I just got frustrated to the point where I canceled my order and got a refund. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, I really did want it. And I actually played with another friend on Tabletop Simulator a while back and I really liked it. So I bought the retail version Um and it's one of those, this is one of those games where the Kickstarter version has so much more content. Oh yeah, I'm not a big fan version. of that. Yeah, the the escalation of uh, yeah. complexity. I mean, yeah. like. I mean, there are like, okay, so I'll give the elevator pitch and then maybe this will make more sense. Yeah, um, tell us about the game, Ben. So the game is actually really, really cool. There are tiles placed around the board and you start with what is essentially a black and white garden on Mm -hmm. the board and surrounding the garden are what they call landscape tiles that are essentially like panoramic art tiles that you stick into the board um and when you are done because you are laying tiles out and building this garden you will literally have like a colorful garden board with decorations on it like three-dimensional trees and pavilions and things like that but Mm -hmm. you will also have landscape tiles that surround the entire board that legitimately fit together like a panorama 
So if you like lean down and look at it from like a low angle, it makes like a whole panoramic scene. Cool. And it is was it far and away one of the most beautiful games I own. And it was very enjoyable. I played with my brother as usual. And guess what? I won a game. All right. Uh, How mean of a game is it? How mean? Because sometimes games that look pretty and nice can be very mean, like uh, Arboretum and uh, Photosynthesis, keeping in the tree theme. (laughs) Um, I would say this game has only one opportunity to be mean, and it is very, very light on the meanness level. Um, Okay. the, The goal is to have your characters, and this is where the extra content from the Kickstarter comes in that I want to explain, you have these specific player characters that are like little miniatures. Um, For example, you have like the scholar or the architect or the monk, and you keep them off of the board. And when they are off of the board, they give you bonuses for things you are placing out on the board as you play. But at certain points, you can place them on the board in specific spots that come out as you lay tiles but you have to face them in specific directions because they want to look at things at the end of the game to gain you points. Hmm. So on these landscape tiles, there might be an image of a deer, which means it's an animal landscape, and you might have a character that wants to look at animals. So the only way that you can really be mean is to place a landscape tile in a location that means nothing to you in order to put it in a location that could potentially be used by the other player to score points. Okay, so hurting others without actually helping yourself is possible, which isn't really something that most people would do anyway. That's just kind of uh, being mean for meanness sake instead of trying to advance your own uh, position. Yes, but there are plenty of character locations that come out as you're placing tiles, and you have a bonus action to move a miniature on the board. So you could plan ahead and just put something down that messes with someone else when you could also just put your mini there and then score the points anyway. So you could mm-hmm. eventually help yourself, but that's really the only avenue to be mean in, in, from right. my experience. How many people can play the game? Uh, it can play up to four, and it plays, I would say, in terms of like the time it takes to learn, there are a lot of components, but it takes about 10 minutes to learn because you literally pick up a tile, and place a tile, or you pick up a couple cards and play a decoration. And decorations are like the 3D trees and pavilions that you put on the board. Um, so all these 3D a, things. What is, was that? Is this is all these three 3D things that yes. come with the game? Is this a case of where the game itself is not as interesting as the components? Uh, um, the component production shows. I would. That's actually a really good question. I think. I think they add enough to the game to make it interesting, but if you were to take them away, the game would not be nearly as interesting. Hmm. I mean, it is nice to just have a pretty object in front of you. Yeah, and I think that it they actually, for once, these actually tie into the mechanic of wanting to look at things in their line of sight. Right. Because that's how you score points. Your miniatures have a line of sight across the board and you get extra points for each decoration they see. So if they're looking at trees, you know, you gain points that way, which is pretty cool. 
the components help in that regard because it must be easy to see. Yeah. And I mean, you know me, I like blinged out games, so just having cool. all this stuff on the yeah. board is neat. So, but I would recommend it and I would like to play at a higher player count cuz two uh I think two makes it a little easy to uh strategize what you want to lay out in terms of the garden whereas more people could potentially disrupt things. Mm-hmm. Um but I really liked it and I'm glad I bought it, but I'm going to definitely be trying to find the Kickstarter stuff because just having like eight more miniatures Mm-hmm. gives so much more variety than the ones they put in the box. So, All right. Yeah. All right. Keep us posted on that one. Will do. Uh, Patrick, what did you play this week? All right. I played a few games. Um, first, I played a game called Escape from Colditz. You guys ever hear of this one? I think I've heard you mention it, but I don't really know what it's about. I've heard the name. It was originally made in the 70s, and it's a one-verse mini game where one person plays the prison guards of a nazi prison camp and the other players play prisoners trying to escape and then you win if you can get two of your prisoners to escape and then the prison guards win if nobody escapes before the timer runs out now i know this may sound a little insensitive to make a board game about this topic but it was designed in the 70s by a person who was literally in the prisoner in the camp in real life and he escaped in real life. This is a game he made about his experience there. Oh, wow. So it definitely honors history then. Yeah, exactly. The new edition by Osprey Games is really beautiful. It has all these cool um, paraphernalia and historical documents and a lot of literature about the time period, so it's a really good presentation. Mm -hmm. But the game itself is kind of um, because it is kind of goofy. (laughs) So He's got almost two minds about this. It's uh, essentially a roll and move game where on your turn you roll some dice and you have that many movement points. Move mm-hmm. your characters around the board. Your characters are trying to collect various escape equipment items and find ways to get out of this beautifully rendered prison camp, which has all these options for escaping. There's places you could uh, lower rope down windows to use places you can cut holes through fences. There's places you can dig tunnels under walls. Eventually, you're trying to get to these exit points on the board. And the game kind of shines because of its goofiness, mm-hmm. because it's a roll and move game, and because there's a lot of weird things that can happen. If you roll your dice and the total is less than six, you're allowed to draw a card, which gives you a special power later in the game. It might be some extra equipment. It might be, oh, you found a uh, you can distract a guard, you know, you found a tunnel that you can use, things like that. Mm-hmm. I assume you played this three-player? I did play this three-player. I've played it more in the past, but yes, I've been playing a lot of games three-player because that's my current setup, uh, and still being safe in person. Right. Were you the one or were you the all? I was one of the all. All right. And, uh, and did I, you escape? I almost had one person escape, and I was shot. Right before the exit, it was a pretty uh, dramatic point oh, in the game. Oh boy! And that's <laughs> and that's kind of the fun of it. Like it was really dramatic. I just needed to roll, you know, the the right amount to get out uh, mm-hmm. before this guard caught up to me, and I didn't do it. Other player who was playing prisoners managed to have two people escape and win the game. Very um, close to when the game would have ended, so it was a pretty dramatic point. So, the, uh, quick question: mm-hmm. Is 
is it a one versus all in that you all win or is it one versus all in that whoever has the most people escape wins um it's one versus all but the all never wins it's the first person to get two people to escape will win okay oh, so I it's see. so you are both kind of going against the person playing the guards but you are still trying to win on your own yes mm-hmm. oh very interesting and you, could, you, and you have to work together too that's another interesting aspect oh, because wow. you kind of have to time your escapes and be like all right i can see that this other player is going to make an escape um in that area i'm going to time my escape to happen at the same time in a different area so that the guards will be spread more thin and can't both of us how long does it take to learn because i'm looking at the board online right now and it looks somewhat intense i mean not the board's intense but but it's really not it's a 10 minute teach and to play uh, with three players it took maybe an hour and a half um it does play up to five which would take longer there are ways to scale it down because you can pick how long the game timer lasts. Got if you cool. have more advanced players. I'd like to try it sometime. Definitely. What else have you played? Um, I also played a game called New York 1901. That I've definitely is, heard of. New York 1901 is a game of building skyscrapers in turn-of-the-century New York uh, where you are collecting plots of land and and you get the right shapes where you can place down your skyscrapers your mm-hmm. skyscrapers will give you points and once someone has built most of their skyscrapers the game will end and whoever has the most points wins it's another really quick teach um mm-hmm. less than 10 minutes and it's only like a 45 minute game well, that's good really it looks like there's this. a bit of a polyomino uh, elements yeah, to all, it. All your skyscrapers are these polyominoes that you are trying to place on the board. The the hook of the game really is that it's a almost like an area control game where you're trying to in the right plots of land that will block your opponents from placing their nice buildings, but also let you place your nice buildings. Hmm. And there's also a fight for trying to get the end game bonuses. Uh, there are random streets assigned at the beginning of the game, and whoever has the most buildings next to these streets will get points. Mm-hmm. You're trying to really find the best plots of land that will uh, allow that to happen. The the mechanism for this is there's just a face-up um, row of land cards, each one a different color. And on your turn, you just pick one of those up, and you claim that piece of land. And you either build a building on it, or you put one of your workers on there to hold it for later then that repeats going around the table. It's very much like Ticket to Ride in that regard. Mm-hmm. You said a face-up row of land cards? Yes. Okay. Uh, plots of uh, land where you will right. put your buildings on the map. So they're just based on color. So there might be a yellow card, a red card, a green card, and each of those um, correspond to a different area of the map. And it feels like Ticket to Ride, where you're just, you know, the turns are pretty quick. You're picking up cards. You're placing down buildings. It's I actually like it better than Ticket to Ride because Ticket to Ride has that problem with the building routes. And if you know the routes more than everybody else, you got a really big leg up. Right. This doesn't have that. It just has board interaction where you're just trying to, everything is, is apparent. All the points are apparent and all the goals are apparent. And you're trying to uh, kind of outthink your opponent. Cool. Sounds enjoyable as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Did you um, have another game you wanted to talk uh, about? 
did. The last one's a, a big one. I oh, recently okay. finished my campaign of King's Dilemma. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. 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 King's Dilemma, really interesting game. It's a, a campaign legacy game where you play a kingdom in this a house in this kingdom of a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Picture it like Game of Thrones where everyone has different sort of scheming objectives and you have to deal with all these events that come up and advise the king on what the best thing to do is. Uh, it really is a simple game mechanic-wise, so it's not doesn't take long to learn. Mm-hmm. Each game of it, each session, is about 45 minutes, and it took us 16 sessions to finish the entire campaign. Is it a standardized number of sessions or no? It is not. It is variable depending on what happens in the game. Is there an end condition you can talk about that doesn't spoil anything if someone were to try this game? All I can say is that there are these stickers that you place in the rule book that give you uh, story things about what's, what's happening based on your actions. Ah, when I you see. place a specific sticker, it triggers the end game. Ah. I'll tell you what that trigger that sticker said, and it, it's going to be different for everybody because right. there's a lot of different stickers you can place in that spot. The core mechanic is that there's these tracks um, representing the different resources of your kingdom, wealth and, and uh, morale and power and things like that. And you draw a card that is something that's happening in the world. And you have to make a decision as the king's council. And you're voting with your power tokens that you have collected. And, and it's got a really interesting turn order thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I won't go into because it's a little complex and hard to understand, but it's once you get the hang of it, it's really cool and interesting. It has to do with how the auction ends because you're essentially bidding power and the next person's bidding power, and eventually the auction's going to end. Right. There's a lot of str- strategic bidding you can do to kind of make it fall in your, in your favor. Mm-hmm. The cool how would you make is, this? Oh, go on. Uh, the cool thing is that the events that come up are so thematic and interesting sometimes you may be um, wanting something to happen just for because it aligns with the story you've been developing a, about your house goals mm-hmm. or I mean, if mechanically it is not the best thing for you it's, it's got this really interesting way of bringing you into a story and making you sometimes do things that are not beneficial <laughs> just because they're in the story it makes a lot of sense for, for it to happen mm-hmm Cool. How would you rank this among your uh, campaign slash legacy games that you've played? I think it might be. Uh, it's very close to the top. I mean, yeah. I, I've gone through Gloomhaven. That might be my bench number one. But this... I mean, anyone who has gone through all of Gloomhaven surely is going to have it at the top of their <laughs> list. <laughs> but I think this just... Ha- it was so much fun to scheme um, with my friends every week and... Mm-hmm. Uh, developed this weird story about this kingdom that we were not um, <laughs> doing the best things for, no matter what we were trying. And yeah, it, it has some really good writing. And the climax, I will say, was very interesting. Not giving anything away, it paid off really well. Cool. It sounds like you definitely build up a good story. I wasn't 100% sure how the game would work, but listening to you talk about it, it definitely sounds interesting. Yeah, recommended. Cool, yeah. I uh, I'll have to try that. I'm a fan of some of the legacy and campaign games. I liked Pandemic Legacy One and Two. 
two better than one. I'm a uh, outlier in that, but yeah, <laughs> cool. Um, I guess I'll talk about the games that I played this week. Uh, we already talked about Orléans. Uh, I think we talked about Hansa Teutonica last week. I played another game this week of that with Nick and Rich, I think. Anyway, it is less mean at three-player than it is at five-player. Um, but I am going to say that it is still uh, bland. <laughs> Uh, Ben, I mentioned it last week, but Hansa Teutonica is just putting cubes on the map. And I said last week, you can boil a lot of games down into an uninteresting uh, sentence, but I really think that's all Hansa Teutonica is. But it's super interesting. I mean, the mechanics are cool. There's depth of decision and strategy. But uh, played it again at three-player. It was still neat. I'd still play it again. but. I wish for something a little more from it, I think. That was my impression just after one play. It was interesting, but it didn't make me, it didn't whet my appetite for more. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, okay, Hansa Teutonica. Uh, I played, so I'm a part of the Tabletop Simulator Discord channel, which is people around the world who want to play games online and don't care about playing with strangers. I know, Ben, you are less keen on playing with strangers than I am. I I don't know. I just feel like playing with people I know. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, definitely. I feel like, a, in a weird way, just really, really, really quick aside, in a weird way, I feel like I'm more likely to play with strangers in person than online. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Convention time is great just yeah. to meet new people and, and things like that. But plus online, just, it's a little different. Yeah. Plus, definitely. I just follow Joan around at conventions and he talks to everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good thing to do. Um, anyway, so I had some free time yesterday. And there's something that I've been wanting to post on this Discord for a while now when I had the chance. And, you know, people just post saying, looking for game of this or this or this. And then if people want to play option two, then you go and play option two. So anyway, I posted yesterday. I had about three free hours. So I just said, I am free for the next three hours. Does anyone have a game that takes two and a half hours or less that you've been wanting to play but haven't been able to play? Uh, If so, I'll play it. And uh, sure enough, someone wrote back saying, let's play Caverna. And I was like, Ugh, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> so you played it before? <laughs> I have played Agricola and Caverna before. And uh, now that I have played Caverna a second time, I can officially, even though I, th- I think I thought this last time I played it, I can officially say I don't need to play that game ever again. Um, Caverna is a worker placement game in the same vein as Agricola, uh, made by Uwe, or Uva, I don't know how to say his first name, Rosenberg, I think, right? Yes. Anyway, uh, in Caverna, you are making a cave and putting stuff on a field, and uh, it's a worker placement game. I don't know. I, I am so uninterested in these farming games by Rosenberg. Agricola is like so bland and uninteresting to me, and Caverna is also bland and uninteresting to me. Uh, I'm not upset that I played it because I'm happy to play things, but uh, I don't know. Patrick, have you played? It's funny because I like A Feast for Odin. 
But I really don't Rome. like Agricola and Caverna. I've played Agricola, and I never really liked it. I think it has some interesting mechanics, especially for its time, being considering how old it is in the gaming hobby. Right. So I many always... people like it, too, which is mm-hmm. maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> no, I understand. That's a, dis- that's a discussion I... for another time. <laughs> I've heard it referred to as Misery Farm. Yeah. how I feel. It was oh Caverna Misery Cave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any game that's... Caverna is less punishing in the feed requirement than Agricola, but any game where the food requirement for your workers just like really uh, kicks you in the shins each round is like, right. why am I playing this, you know? Maybe that's the difference with Feast for Odin, because feeding your people is pretty easy in Feast for Odin. It's doing everything else that you want to do, that's the hard right. part. <laughs> and also with the Feast for Odin, it's really easy to pivot since you have a whopping 60 actions to choose from each turn. Oh, yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, Caverna, eh. And uh, yeah. Um, the last game I'll talk about, just because the other two I talked about were short blurbs, um, I played Food Chain Magnate, twice this week with um, Nick two-player last night and with Nick, Rich, and Greg the other day. And we played with the expansion on Tabletop Simulator with the new milestones and stuff because that's what Nick wanted to do. And I was determined in the first game to make the first trainer-used strategy work um so i don't know if we've talked about food chain magnate before uh, i'll do we, a... we have s- s- semi talked about it but to all of our listeners out there you're gonna hear the words i played food chain magnate a lot too often <laughs> um anyway it's my favorite game it's awesome uh it's a game where you are running a restaurant in a little city that has a bunch of houses on it and you need to sell these people food and drinks to make money and money wins the game and there is a lot of strategy in this with who you can hire what you want to do etc etc i'm going to talk about this game as a game of the week later on so we can table the discussion kind of until then but the first trainer in the new milestones um patrick and ben i don't know if you remember what it does it's um, Do not. First trainer used is you get a free trainer, and you don't have to fire people if you are broke. Okay. And the marketing one is the place you get five dollars each time a token is placed and minus two distance. And the recruiting girl one is free executive vice president, the guy with ten slots. Oh yeah, I know all about that strategy by now. So. <laughs> I am not an amateur at this game, obviously, and I think I have won each time I've tried the marketing strategy, because I think the marketing, the new marketing milestone is overpowered. So I'm determined to try and make the trainer strategy work. First game, I tried the trainer strategy. It's, I don't know, you have these two trainers, and you want to train two people on each turn, but you just really hate having to hire one person at a time so you really want to hire a recruiting girl which is someone you can't train i don't know i tried it i lost at it then i played a two-player game with nick last night where we had the uh lobbyist and the 
rural marketeer, so we could add roads and parks and tiles to it. And I said, you know what, Nick? I'm trying this stupid idea again. And I think I did better, and I'm closer to figuring out how to do it. But I haven't cracked the code yet. So let me ask you, Jonah, you're very good when you play with new players in this game of kind of pulling your punches a little bit to let them get their feet under them, which we all appreciate. But how did you have to do that this game? Or were you really trying to? So the first game I'm talking about where I played with Nick, Rich, and Greg, I did definitely, I chose the trainer strategy for two reasons. One, because I wanted to try it. Two, because I think it's the worst of the three and that would help the others. And I also didn't do mean things in the game. Because, as you both know, the game can be pretty mean to try and get your sales. But then last night with Nick, I said, Nick, I'm going to do the trainer, and I'm going to try my hardest because I really want to try and make this work. So, yeah, I mean, I I did try last night, and I lost. And I don't know what I can do with the trainer strategy next time, but I'm determined to find something in it. Because I like to have fun in games, and I don't mind doing a stupid strategy and losing if I have fun doing it. Right, right. In fact, that's why I think I lose Pax Pamir every time I play it, because it's like 70% of the way through the game. I'm part of a leading faction, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna go be a Russian now. And it <laughs> always fun. hurts me. Yeah, but it's fun. Uh, so yeah, those are the games that I played this week. And next we have the game of the week. This game is chosen by our guest host, Patrick. So Patrick, what game have you chosen for us to take a deeper dive on this week? Oh yes, I am very excited to bring to the table Gia, Legends of Adrift System. I love you, Patrick. Just want to say, I love this this game. This is one of my favorite games of all time in the uh, sort of a Meritrashy sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, Shia is a game where you play a spaceship captain and it's a sandbox game where you can literally do whatever you want in this galaxy that you're exploring and interacting with with all the other players mm-hmm. it does take a bit of time to understand and get your feet under you for the mechanics so i would say you know a good 30 minute teach is necessary mm-hmm. and the game could take anywhere from an hour and a half to four or five hours depending on what uh victory point trigger you want to use mm-hmm. what is the standard victory point end game trigger that is chosen uh i always play with 20 points but i am more experienced so my games uh tend to go a little faster what is but the could... shortest 20-point game you have played, and what is the longest 20-point game you have played? Uh, the shortest would probably be two hours, and the longest would be five, somewhere in that range. Was five was the I... first game we played together? That I don't remember, to be when... honest, but I think we, I, I do... The first game I played with my current three-player group took a very long time yep. when we played to 20 points. <laughs> I was a part of a five-hour game. And I'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> but go on, Patrick. Yeah, yeah. The game does shine when you, um, when everyone knows what they're doing. I will say that. Yeah, but most games do, so it's it's hard to mm-hmm. knock a game and for that. You know, that is very true. That is very true. But the, you're trying to get points essentially, and there are a million ways to get points. You could um, explore the galaxy. You could fight 
enemies or other opponents. You could go on missions. You can collect cargo and deliver cargo to various places. There's so many things you can do, and the galaxy is constantly uh, changing, and interesting things are constantly happening. And the the mechanic is, you know, I'll be honest, it's a it's it's a roll and move game essentially, where you yep. are. Um, you could customize your spaceship with engines and guns and shields and various things. And when you want to do something, you take one of your charging uh, cubes and you put it on your spaceship to charge up that that component of your ship. And you, mm-hmm. if it's an engine, roll a die associated with the engine and you move that many spaces around the galaxy. If it's mm-hmm. a gun, roll a die and you do that much damage to whatever you're targeting. So Shield, glad you're bringing this up now because I was going to bring it up later. <laughs> if it's a shield, you roll a die and you block that much damage. But that's part of the joy of this game for me is that it's a game where anything can happen and anything will happen. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can strategize as much as you want, and you could get screwed with a dice roll or uh, luck into something that is great. But it's a game where you're always going to get a story out of it. And right. that's what I like. Yep. I know Ben has bunch of stories that he uh, (laughs) that he loves to talk about from this game as well as i just it's that sort of game where it's an experience um go in thinking you're gonna uh strategize to a victory and be sad when your strategy doesn't work because that's not the game you'll be playing yeah right and before we sorry ben just really quickly before we go further into the game i just want to say there are a lot of games with this theme as well. This is not exactly a new and unique theme, which is not a knock on the game. You know, there's Twilight Imperium right. is a big space game. Eclipse is a big space game. Gaia Project, I guess, is now a kind of big space game. And then this is a big space game. So do you think it's a good use of theme? Do you like it more or less than the other games that use this theme? I think it's a very different animal. Um, yes, I think it has a great use of theme because this, the theme comes through when you're playing. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're in this galaxy doing crazy things and uh, your ship to you know fly close to the sun and you know grab that resource from somebody else or things like that. Right, Wherein- and what you said about Tang Garden earlier about the components maybe making the game better. I think the components really help in this game because you have all these unique ships and you're moving them around and you're like taking your ship on your little standee. And I think that definitely brings out the uh, theme and gameplay as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. It's very different than Twilight Imperium or Eclipse because those are strategy games. Um, Yeah, this is what I was going to say before is this is far and away the most random game I own. Like every part of this game is random. Like... The dice are random. The choice of ships that you have at the beginning of the game is random. The quests are random. But because it's so random, like you were saying, Patrick, you get a story out of it every time. And that's what that's what I love about the game. Like it is I literally just go in and have stupid fun. Like that's mm-hmm. that's it. I'm not strategizing. I'm not thinking too hard about what I'm doing. I'm just like, oh well, this seems fun. Let's try it. And that's what uh, I do. You can literally get points in this game for rolling a 20 on a D20. Yeah. That's how random it is. <laughs> but you know, there are those turns where it's it's it doesn't feel random. Where you kind of worked out a strategy, you got your ship. Right. You can mitigate the randomness as yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah. There are components that will let you um add to your dice rolls to, to help mitigate the randomness. And 
there are those turns that work out perfectly like you planned and then it, it, and it also just that feels great when you play yeah. it mm-hmm. i uh i will be the contrarian in a few minutes after we talk more about how great this game is but uh in my one play of this so i'm not an expert at all um nadia got i think five maybe six points from nat 20s right and she's also a no- notoriously good die roller which yeah, but doesn't exist but yes getting a fourth of your points as like gimmies felt a little weird i didn't yeah. mind losing but it was interesting that that because she won the game and it's interesting for a fourth of someone's points to come down to literally nothing yeah, if right. I can say that. No, feel That's free true. to say it. There's also a strategy that you can employ of doing things that let you roll that die more and more to right. try to get, try and get those 20s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can only get one per turn, and I've never seen a game uh, swing that much because of it, but yeah, it can happen. <laughs> yeah. And she was behind for a while in our game, too, and then out of nowhere, she just kind of jumped ahead. Oh, yeah. She... Uh... She killed me to win, I believe is what happened. Yep. Well, there's always some fun ending to it in terms of like the last point is always kind of a bit of a mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I mean, I love games that yeah. tell a story. I mean, yeah. Brass Birmingham, I think, is a neat game, but I, I was mentioning this last week or two weeks ago. The reason that I think I just have no interest in playing it ever again is that the game just kind of plays itself, and I don't feel like I can ever think back to an interesting point in the game. Whereas, you know, Ben, you have so many stories from this game. I have stories from other games, and it's just, yeah. So it's really great that this game does have that aspect to it. Interesting stuff happens because of what you choose to do. Yeah. So speaking speaking of stories, because I feel like I'm required at this point to mention <laughs> my big thing with this game. So the the galaxy is random as is almost everything else. So you start with like a set of tiles on the board and you place tiles out as you move throughout the galaxy. And it gives you, you have the option in the game to blind jump into the next chunk of the galaxy, in which case you do not have to end your movement, but you just randomly go into the next galaxy without knowing what's there. Or you can plan what you want to do and say like, I want to search this section of the board I want to explore, but it stops your movement. Well, we could talk game. about this later when we talk about the mechanism. I think that's push your luck right there, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's fine with me too. I can bring it back in later. I just, at some oh, point, no, I'm not saying don't say it now. Out. I'm just saying this is actually a great oh, yeah. game choice because it has that element that has the mechanic we're talking about as well. Yeah, well, to continue then for this moment, uh, I've played this game three times. It is one of my favorite games. I have currently blind jumped into the sun three times in three games. And how many suns are there in this game, Ben? There's only one sun, and there are probably... (laughs) How many many tiles would you say there are, Patrick, that you could put out? Like 20-something? Surely like 20 or 30, 30. yeah. Yeah, there's like 20 or 30 tiles that you could put out. And in all three games that I've played so far, I on my very first go, I've been like, blind jump. And then I just hit the sun. And what's <laughs> what's good about this game is like, you can blow up and come back. There's like no issue with blowing up and coming back into the game. Um, so it's not like it ends the game. It's just like, 
at this point, I blind jump to do it because I feel like it's required of me. And <laughs> I'm playing the game again tonight, and I'm you bet I will be blind jumping on All my right. first turn. You can tell us next week how the game went. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do. So, uh, yeah, I I have more stories to tell about this game, but they would last the double the length of this podcast. So I'm gonna hold them and hold them in for the time being. But uh, and you yeah, can bring I, one up next week when you talk about absolutely. it on your games played last week. Absolutely. Uh, all right, I'm going to very briefly be a contrarian. Um, mm-hmm. I do not have really. I don't really have problems with the game, but for me, the type of player I am, I I like there's input randomness and output randomness, which is just decisions and then randomness, or randomness and then decisions. Um, I can't say respectively because I forget which order I said it in. But um, I like randomness and then decisions. If I had to choose which type of randomness I'm having in my games. Um, Because it feels like something random happens and then you have agency in deciding what to do with it. Whereas uh, the other way is you try something and then you just say, okay, let's roll the dice and see what happens. That's mm. totally fine, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I do enjoy quite a few pure randomness games. Like, I mean, Camel, Camel Up, Camel Cup is really just rolling dice. And I love that game. But I think the key thing that I don't like about this game that we're talking about, Zia, Shia, Chia, who knows? It's Shia. <laughs> I talked to the creator at PAX Unplugged. It is Shia. Okay, Shia. <laughs> I think what I don't like is I can't roll dice for every action for four hours. Even yeah. for three hours. Probably even for two hours. <laughs> I think I just have a limit of a pure randomness game. Yep. And this game is longer than that limit. Makes sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I completely understand. And it's not a knock on the game because you know I I knew what I was getting myself into, and I'm happy to play anything. You know, Twilight Imperium is like six hours, and every battle you fight is randomness, but mm. you can build up your fleet, try and have better technology or something to mitigate the randomness. And I feel like you can mitigate the randomness more in that than in this, but I could very easily be wrong about that. Uh, the, you can definitely mitigate your randomness in Shia. The problem is that you have to <clears throat> have um, good have luck good to, randomness. Get, to, point, <laughs> to yeah. get to a point where you have enough money to buy the equipment that you would need to play your strategy of choice. Right, so you need good luck to be able to mitigate future bad luck. Yeah, exactly. Which is painful if you don't have it in the first place. <laughs> it yeah. is, yes. I will say the last game we played, uh, it was 20 to 19 to like 4. One person just couldn't get anything going to uh, to get points mm-hmm. in that game, but he still had fun. Yeah, it, it's also a game where your outlook and your uh, whatever type of gamer you are, I think, plays a huge role. Because if you can have fun doing poorly, mm-hmm. it's fine to let you know throw caution to the wind and just let the dice choose your fate. Right. And I was fine with that. I did enjoy my play, but. Not the game for me. And that's fine. As I said, as I said then, I appreciated you giving it a shot and playing. So not everything is for everyone, and that's fine too. So 
The one last point is that you must play with the expansion. Embers yeah. of a Forsaken Star. It right. fixes it, a lot of the problems. It's an errata or something, right? It's essential. It's yeah. an essential. Well, it kind expansion. of like adds the market board, which like changes the whole game. So yeah, and it adds a lot of ship mods that are very useful, and a lot more interesting tiles and cards and things. Yeah, but no second sun. No, no second sun. No, very but, important. But one final note is Patrick and I both own this game. I actually bought this game in the middle of my very first play with Patrick. <laughs> right before well actually like 10 minutes after i blind jumped into the sun i was like i love this <laughs> and i just bought it uh we are trying to uh at some point combine our two copies of the game and make like a mega galaxy so there will be two suns um yes. and my plan is to blind jump into both of them but we'll see <laughs> and we happens. will update you all when that happens yeah it's yeah. gonna be a while but yeah. <laughs> all right should we move on to the next segment sure all right, we have Ben's backings, oh, and yeah. uh, Ben, tell us what's happening on Kickstarter these days. What you're backing, what you're waiting on. Uh, All right, anything and everything. Uh, well, Patrick follows me on Kickstarter, so as he said a little bit earlier to me, he uh, has a bit of a preview of the stupid stuff that I've just been backing this week. Yeah, um, very entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the big one this week in terms of games and not like bits and pieces would be uh dinosaur 1944 which uh it's from peterson games which is the company that makes cthulhu wars dinosaur um, 1944 yeah what could uh, this is, possibly be about it is literally a uh strategic cooperative game in which you are playing army men fighting against dinosaurs yeah, just, yeah. are there I nazis mean, in this nope there are no nazis in this but it's in 1944. Yes, it's it's just U.S. Army soldiers like the old school Green Army men fighting mm -hmm. against dinosaurs, and it okay. just looks stupid and fun at the same time. And surprisingly, for a Peterson Games game, it is seventy nine dollars for the game. There is no other pledge level unless you want. So Peterson Games offers like a base level pledge and then usually has like a bajillion expansions, but then their top level pledge, you literally like go on a weekend trip with the designer of the game and like play games with him and like go sightseeing and stuff. So there are two <laughs> pledges in this. And is that tier is $80 instead of 79? No, that tier is $1,000. Ah, yes. And you literally go to the Maryland Tank Views Museum with Sandy Peterson, the creator of the game, as well as the uh, Smithsonian, and he like will be telling you about like history and things like that. He'll point out the uh, historical accuracies of his game with the Green Army men in 1944 fighting right. dinosaurs. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Plus, if you buy Dino Storm, the expansion, which is almost as much as the base game because they do this as well. Dino uh, Storm? Is that like Sharknado? Maybe, because it reverses it, and you play the dinosaurs fighting the army men. Oh, wow. And then you can really find out which side was in the right. Yeah, exactly. Who was but fighting for justice in that? All I know is that this is one of those games where I'm like, okay, it, looks, it just looks like stupid fun. So um, that's the big game I'm backing this week. All right, what are you um, waiting on? And then also, uh, Patrick, I hope you have a thing or two that you're waiting on, because I'm going to mention something that you and yeah, I are both right, waiting I on. I could chime in, um, sure. So I would actually, I'm going to mention one game I'm waiting on, and then I would like to 
mention the other game I'm waiting on last because it's a push your luck game, and that is the mechanic we're talking about this week. Perfect. Um, so I would like to use that to segue in. Um, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but I am uh, being in isolation has made me turn slightly more towards solo gaming, ever so slightly. Um, and I've wanted to I wanted to try this game that I saw called The Rat Catcher. Um, and the Rat Catcher is a solo adventure game. The Rat uh, Catcher is this where... starring Charlie Day? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you are you do have various characters, and uh, it's basically you draw these cards and they make this little like village. So the art looks like a top down view of like either a village or like a sewer sewer system, and um, you pull rats out of a bag like little rat meeples out of a bag and you put them you put them on the board and uh you basically are going around trying to catch as many rats as you can and you get various powers the more rats you catch you can drop what do you do after you catch them uh you use them oh gosh Um, yeah so (laughs) so is there a rat king in this game there is a rat king actually oh gosh oh god <laughs> um so yes there's a rat king so there are various uh, rats that you can fight against and they have uh, a little add-on pack that i bought called uh, peculiar rats um and all of these rats in the peculiar rat pack are uh like one of them is the ratapus which is a platypus that's a rat uh, and then there's. I think I'm with you on that. I understand. And then there's uh, the golden fleeced rat, uh, the filthy snitch. It's literally a rat with golden snitch wings. Um, oh man, is the first player rule in this game? Whoever re- most recently hired an exterminator. Well, considering it's a one-player game. Uh, oh definitely. yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, but I just want to say my favorite one is the mad ratter, and he it's a it's a, it's a rat in a top hat <laughs> in a teacup. Oh, but like the game just looks fun. You like run around this board and you're trying to like trap rats, catch rats, but rats can like eat you and you drop little pieces of cheese on the board and you're trying to like pick up the cheese or put down cheese to trap them. It just it looks Is like there a an good time. where you play the rats just like Dino Storm. <laughs> no, this one was just a single pledge level. So, but uh that that's one I'm looking forward to just cuz it, it looks like a good time. Um and uh, the other one I'm the other one I'm looking forward to I'm is I'm looking forward to a great deal and I'm going to bring it back up in a little bit. So uh, you guys go ahead if you have anything that you've been looking at or wait or are waiting on. All right. I'm going to mention one game that I'm waiting on only because only one game and only one game because I know it's one that Patrick is waiting on too. Oh yes, I know it. (laughs) Uh, This game is blood on the clock tower. Oh yeah. Blood on the Clock Tower is a big social deduction werewolves style game. Effectively werewolves, but everyone has a role. Um, I love this game. I think Patrick loves this game as well. It's really fun to be a participant in, a player. But it's also really fun to be the uh, storyteller, I think is what the name was. We're not really having 15-person gatherings (laughs) right now. No, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's really fun to be a player and play different roles on the good side and the bad side. And it's also really fun to be the storyteller and craft the game. You just It's kind of like being the dungeon master. You decide what roles are going to be in the game. You decide what happens when people make certain decisions as well, following the rules, of course. Um, yeah, I really like the game. And Patrick, what do you think about the game? 
Oh, no, we I had... really like it as well. Mm-hmm. I was just going to um, say, we've played a print-and-play copy, which is why we know if we like the game or not. But go on. It's um, I really like it because I'm not a fan of social deduction games, but this feels like there's social deduction that you can actually deduce um, right. in interesting ways, depending on what roles are in the game. All the deduction and, in this game is not just social, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, there's a lot. There's more to it. I do like. I really like the care that the company has put into designing this game. If you read their rulebook and their literature, there's a lot of accessibility things that they added into the game. Um, a lot of ways to uh, include new players or players that you know wouldn't normally be um, comfortable in a game like this. There's a lot right. of thoughts about how to run the game effectively. It really put a lot of time into it. Yeah, one of the great roles, which is great for people like me who never shut up, is uh, uh-huh. like if someone, if you interrupt someone else, you are automatically uh, killed in the game. That's... So uh, it would stop someone oh, like me. That. I yeah. Probably should have died that... a lot. No, that's an option that the right, storyteller could present oh, at the okay. beginning of the game. Like oh, if so you have your is... friend joining who's kind of shy and you want to make sure they have a good time, gotcha. you can put this in, let everyone know about it to make sure that people know, like, hey, if you interrupt this other person, which is what I've been doing to the two of you this entire podcast, <laughs> um, you will uh, face the storyteller's wrath, I guess. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah a bunch of those. Yeah, like so that's Blood on the Clock well. Tower. It's, it's good. It's a good time. I think it's fun. The only thing I don't like is the way they run their convention games, but that's a that's another story. I just other than All that, right. I really like the game. So great, Patrick. What are you waiting on? Well, I'm only waiting on one other board game, and it is QE, which you uh, guys yes. might have talked about on the podcast already. We talked about yeah. how bad the online implementation is last <laughs> oh, week. Oh dear God, the worst. But yeah, that's going to be here in like a month or two, right? It's coming soon. Yeah. Um, I managed to play it in like an actual copy at Gen Con last year. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it is the actual copy is much easier to, to use. Of yeah. course. Um, yeah, it's a really cool auction game. I, I enjoy it and looking forward to having a physical copy. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Ben. Segue. Segue yeah. us into the next okay. thing with the current so, thing. Uh, our mechanic this week is push your luck. Uh, chosen by Patrick. So, yes, chosen by Patrick. So it's just a coincidence that one of my most looked forward to games from Kickstarter uh, is a push your luck game. It's called Trick Shot. Um, oh, I didn't Trick know Shot... that that was the push your luck game. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trick I thought Shot... it was a push your puck game. <laughs> I feel like I want oh, to. I, I really <laughs> genuinely feel like I want to disconnect from Discord <laughs> chat now. But, you know. I'm going to keep going for the fans. Do it for uh, the fan singular. Yeah. Um, my mom? <laughs> I don't even know if she'd know how to listen to a podcast. But uh, either way, uh, this game is called Trick Shot, and it is an ice hockey push-your-luck board game. Um, and Patrick and I actually played a round of this on Tabletop Simulator because I created a mod for it after deciding I don't like tabletopia as much as tabletop simulator right i think um, you mentioned that last week i might have actually the online games but yeah. yeah go on yeah um so basically the premise of this game is that you each play uh one team in an ice hockey game and you are trying to score more goals than your opponent 
Um, and basically, uh, the push your luck comes in in a fairly interesting way in that when you start your turn, you roll a die, and if you succeed on your die roll, um, one of the faces is a fail, all of the others are successes. And it's a but, standard six-sided die? Yep, it's just a standard six-sided die. Um, one of the sides is a failure, which is a big X. Um, two of the sides are blank, uh, and two of the sides... I'm trying to think of the other sides, but basically there are blanks, which are clear successes, and then there are various symbols that... Um, can do other things, but they count as successes for the purposes of uh, rolling your dice. Now, as long as you don't roll a failure, you can choose to continue with your turn. Mm, Pushing your luck. Exactly. But if you decide to continue with your turn, you add one more die to your pool, and then you roll all those dice. Oh, so it gets more and more likely that you'll get a fail. And... I've had turns, because I play against my brother sometimes online as well, I've had turns where he's just like, oh, screw it, I'm going to push my luck. And he gets he gets up to like eight or nine dice at a time. And uh, you can mitigate this a little bit in that you have a bench, um, which are your stamina tokens, and you have three stamina tokens. So if you roll a bunch of dice and you have a few failures you can flip over one of your stamina tokens and choose to re-roll your dice to try and not fail. However, it's still kind of pushing your luck just to do that because you have to re-roll every symbol that comes up. So if you roll two failures, but every other die in your eight-die pool has a symbol on it, you're now re-rolling eight dice to try and get rid of those two failures. And you're basically moving moving across the board. And I would say it's akin to a miniature skirmish game because you're playing with miniatures and it's on a grid ice hockey rink. So oh. you're you're moving throughout the board with your miniatures, but you can't take two turns in a row with the same character. So like you really have to strategize around the fact that just to get back to the character you just used, you're going to need to push your luck twice to get back to using them again. And I think it's it's really cool. Plus, I'm an absolutely huge hockey fan. So just having an ice hockey game is like puts this game so high up on my expectation chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that the mechanic of pushing your luck is really cool uh, in there as well. Sweet. Um, When's it supposed to be delivered? Oh, boy. So it was supposed to be delivered in like March. Oh. And I actually could have purchased this game unpainted at packs unplugged in november but they are shipping the pre-painted copies at the same time as the unpainted copies and i've ordered a painted copy uh it has been delayed now probably in my guess until september or october because they can't seem to decide on a color scheme that the paint that the factory can paint reliably so it's been delayed quite a bit but it just keeps getting more and more anticipated because of these delays um so, well, yeah, when it comes, um, I will try it out. Sounds good. Until then, we'll have to use your incredible mod. That's oh, right. Say is pretty well done. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> All I right. Shall that. we uh, transition fully into the final segment? Yeah, sure. All right. And as Ben just said, we are talking about the push your luck mechanic. Patrick, can you 
explain what this mechanic is, even though I think everyone in the world knows what it is? Sure. So push your luck is a concept of um, or something similar in the game um, waiting for a reward. But if you push it too far or repeat it too many times, you may lose everything or lose something. Yes, and I actually I thought about the perfect game to illustrate this that everyone in the world knows. Let's hear it. Blackjack. Oh, oh, yes, that's that's a good one. Very good. If you have 15 and you want to get 21, but not go over, you are pushing your luck by hitting. And yeah, if you go over, you lose. So it is a very easy to understand mechanic. And a lot of games have it. And Patrick, what is your favorite game that has this? Even though I think I already know the answer to this. <laughs> well, um, yes, my favorite game, uh, which has it, is Quacks of Quedlinburg, um, which I will get into. But mm-hmm. first, I'd like to just talk about a, another game first. Can't Stop. Ah, uh, yes. Can't Stop. Can't Stop is like pure pusher luck, which is why mm-hmm. I think it's a good starting point. It's a game where you're rolling dice and um, Binding those dice to get numbers that will move you up on these tracks. And every turn, you can keep moving up on these tracks, but the minute you roll dice that you can't combine into the numbers you need, you lose all of your progress. Mm. It is pure push your luck. You're rolling and deciding when you want to stop. And as the title implies, it's very hard to stop because you just want to push it as far as you can go. Right. I think I played this once with Pei. And maybe yeah, it's it's one of those really fun um you know quick five to ten minute games that's the one with all the little cones right that's the cones yep that's how i know it mm. so i think that's that's like the pure pusher luck game mm-hmm. yeah. um of Kleppenberg is a game where you're building a bag of components uh that simulate ingredients that you're putting into your pot Potion, you're building, you're creating a potion is the theme. And each ingredient you pull out will move you a little further on this track, and you're trying to get as far as you can so you can get more purchasing power and more points each round. But if you pull out too many of the bad chips, your pot will explode and you'll be penalized. You will only get points or you will only get to buy things. You will not be able to do both. Mm-hmm. So it is a very cool um, game where you're bag oh i lost you there patrick can you say that again i'm sorry it's a very cool game where you're customizing your bag and building combos of components to move you further and further on this track and when to stop so that you do not explode or Hmm. knowing that you know maybe i can pull one more chip out and it'll be great i have x chips in my bag only one of them is bad Mm -hmm. and and that's the decision point um but what's cool about Quacks of Quedlinburg is it doesn't penalize you too much. Mm. If you explode, it's not the end of the world. You decide not to get points or not buy something, and then you'll still be in the running for the game. Right. So. Push your luck games have to... Something I was thinking about with this mechanic is when you are pushing your luck, the negative consequence has to be negative enough to dissuade you from pushing your luck too much. Like it has to be a meaningful um, hurt, I guess, Uh to not want to go too far. But at the same time, 
it can't be too punishing, I guess. So like, uh, and that's, that's a good, very good point. No, it's a very good point. And I think quacks rides that line really well. Mm -hmm. Cause I was just thinking, um, with, when we talk about mechanics, we like to talk about, you know, what game does it well, what game does it poorly. And I was looking at games that have this and my game choice for games that do this poorly, mainly because I don't even think this should really count as an implementation of this mechanic. Um, code names apparently is push your luck. And I think the pushing of your luck is deciding if you want to make another guess or not. Code names is a team game where you're giving clues to your teammates for them to decide what words are associated with your team. And uh, making an extra choice when you're not sure if you should or not, and choosing an innocent bystander, it doesn't really dissuade you that much. I don't know. There's there is that one card that makes you instant lose, but mm -hmm. I think it's so unlikely to choose that, especially because the pushing of your luck in this game requires an informed decision. Yeah, you know, like if the clue is bed and the words are like pillow, sheet, and racehorse, one of those is not <laughs> going to be an attempt of yours, you know? Right. So There are those cases in code names where you're on the fence about mm -hmm. making that choice. Do, do we guess, or is that going to be one of the opponent's words that we're giving them a point? Yeah. Right. But there are those moments where the push-your-luck feels more imminent. Right, yeah. But it's not like the core of the game like it is in no, it is not. Wax. Yeah. So. yeah, um, there are a couple other games that I think do it really well in mm -hmm. different ways. Clank is a good one. Yep, Clank was on my list. <laughs> yep, yeah, Clank was on my it's list. It's a different type of push your luck. It's not really actions that you're you know, repeating or doing. It's, it's how long do you want to stay in the game. Right. So what is Clank? What does wanting to stay mean in this context? Clank is a game where you play a dungeon delver going into a dungeon collecting treasure and trying to get out before the dragon kills you. Mm -hmm. And if you manage to get high enough out of this dungeon, you um, are able to score points. But if you stay down too long and the dragon kills you, you will lose completely. And it gets harder and harder to stay alive the longer the game goes on, but you can collect more and more points. So it's a balance of, do I stay down here and get points? Uh, when's the point where I decide to turn around and run for safety and give up getting points? Mm -hmm. And that's the push your luck. It's less of a actions. It's more of a decision point in the game. Right. And I think it definitely does it well because the, just the point that I just made, um, the negative of uh, what can happen is just straight up losing. So you yes. really want to make sure you can find a safe way out in time, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're, I think what it is is your score will be affected by not delving deeper and leaving too early. Yeah, uh, and it it gives you different strategies. You could go in and get a few points and rush out to try to speed up the end game to right. you know, make other people lose. Yeah, there's some good player interaction in Clank as well. From yeah, that. I, haven't, I haven't played Clank in a while, but I definitely would like to play again mm -hmm. at, uh, at some point. What's another game that you think does it well, Patrick? 
Um, uh, no thanks is a different type of pusher luck. Have mm-hmm. you played this game? It's a very simple um, card game where you are bidding not to take uh, a card that is on display. You're going around putting chips on it, and this card will have a number on it, and you do not want high numbers. So on your turn, you decide, do I want to take this number and all the chips, which are points, um, Mm -hmm. or do I want to put a chip on it and see if someone else will take it? point you have to weigh how many chips you have left versus how many points you're going to be taking if you take this high number and it's a push your luck because every round that comes back to you you have to put another chip and then you you may be thinking "Ooh, if i can put one more chip someone else is definitely going to take this right and that's the push your luck part it's like hmm, could i put one more chip so that someone else will take it or am i going to get stuck with this number yeah, and a game that I was thinking of that I think has the exact same type of push your luck is Liar's Dice. Have you guys played Liar's Dice? Never played it, no. I have not played it either. Oh, wow, Liar's Dice is a classic. Um, Liar's Dice, you know, it's funny because I talk about how much I hate dice and then I talk about how amazing a game that is just <laughs> rolling dice. Um, it probably takes five minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, not even. Um, Liar's Dice... Uh, each person has like a little Yahtzee cup and five dice and you roll it and you look at what you rolled individually and then someone opens the bidding or whatever and they say, you know, I have two ones and then the next person either has to say a higher number of ones or I think an equal number of a higher number. So if you said two ones, I could say three ones, or I could say like two twos, because I increased the the pip number. And it just continues going around like that until someone says, I don't believe you, to the previous person. So there is lying involved in this, of course, because it's liar's dice, but you're also pushing your luck, because if you don't get called out on something, someone else could have to improve upon your bid by so much that it's just painful for them. Yeah. So it's kind of just a game of chicken with push your luck. That's very similar to Skull. Right, yeah, exactly. Which is basically the same idea, except you're flipping over tiles to see how many tiles you can flip over before you reveal a Skull. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you're going to say too many and someone's going to call you on it. (laughs) Right. I mean, the fact that Blackjack is push your luck and Blackjack is centuries old uh who knows yeah the uh, the fact that such an old game has it i think is what has spawned so many other games to make use of it because it's clearly a well-liked uh mechanic or aspect of games yeah and i think i part of the reason why is because it's almost like it's it's gambling essentially right. it, it is 100 percent gambling yeah, it lets you get that feeling of gambling with um you know out without losing money besides buying board games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I hate losing money when I'm gambling, so my games <laughs> right? is a way better way for me to do it. One game that I have on my list of uh, games that do this mechanic well is Hardback. Have either of you played Hardback? Nope. I've heard of it. I, I own Hardback. Um, yeah. I'm struggling to remember the Push Your Luck mechanic. Ah, it's funny, because the moment you said Push Your Luck as your uh, choice, I instantly thought of hardback i thought of hardback before i thought of blackjack oh yes with the uh the ink 
that's the ink. Yes. It's true. That's a very good. That's a very good point. I mean, oh, it's, it's it's great. So hardback is a deck building, word building game where you are buying cards from a center row of letters, effectively, and uh, you're making a new deck, or you're building your deck, and you're drawing five cards and trying to make a word with those letters that you have drawn. And there is something in the game called ink. And you can buy ink with your money instead of buying cards, or in addition to buying cards. And on your turn, you can spend an ink to draw another card. And of course, the more cards you have, the longer your word can be, the more points you can get out of that word. Um, the issue with using this ink is that whatever letter you draw, you have to use in your word. So if I have great. like L. E V O or something, and I'm like, oh, that's love. And I draw another letter hoping to make a longer word that has those four letters in it. If I draw an X or a J, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But uh, sometimes you draw a letter that gets you another great longer word, and you can use more than one ink as well. So you can draw mm -hmm. another like four cards. But then now you have to use, I don't know, T, R, Y, and H. <laughs> yeah, that's a great mechanic. I really enjoy that in that game. Yeah, I think it really makes hardback shine more than paperback. Mm -hmm. A similar deck building, word building game by the same person <laughs> in the same size box. <laughs> so I wanted to bring up one aspect of this concept. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about? Um, games that your decision to up your price, hoping that um, you're going to be able to sell at that price, is that a push your luck? Can you give me an example? Like the gallery. So you 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 buy the the luxury manager in Food Chain Magnet, mm. um, hoping that nobody else is going to have a restaurant closer or have the goods to be able to steal the sale from you i would only say that that is not push your luck because the luck you are pushing is is the unwillingness to do the mental calculation but it's also the chance that there's always that point in the game where it's like do i play this luxury manager or mm, is I someone see. else gonna play their pricing manager or are they going to I, I understand what you're saying, but I think there are points in the game where the decision is pushing I your think luck. In, I think in a weird way for me, I would consider that more strategy than... Like, I know that there's some strategy mm. to push your luck, but for me, I feel like push your luck is more prevalent when it's literally, like, actual luck-based. Right, there's no strategy a, involved. Yeah, right. and that's more of a strategy to like hmm. think about what your opponents are doing i don't know that's a I good think it's a mix though. i think it definitely does have it i totally see where you're coming from for pushing your luck for it but and, yeah and Go on. could apply that to a lot of other games and you know games where you're making a decision that you're not sure if it's going to pan out mm -hmm. but you're taking a risk and i i don't know if that's too loose to apply to press your luck but it, it has that same feeling for me. Like, right. say you're in Twilight would, yes. Imperium and you're I would say it's to... loose, but I'll, I'll allow it. 
I'll, right. I'll allow it. <laughs> like you're going in Twilight Imperium and you're like, I can, you know, I'm going to this move, which is going to cause a battle that I may, I may be able to win. You're, you're right. almost pushing your luck in, in situations like that. I think my only issue with applying push your luck that broadly is then like any worker placement game, are you pushing your luck by deciding to do this action before that action? Right, yeah. Which I think is where Ben is coming from saying that's like the strategy aspect and maybe where it breaks down. Oh yeah, I, I agree. But I just like to it has that same feeling sometimes. Right. Where, like, oh yeah, definitely. Your move is like a gamble. Right. That's that's what I bring it back to the beginning. That's what I enjoy about this mechanic is it, it gives you like that it's like a spark of like, hmm, this mm-hmm. might work. If it works, this is gonna be great. And if not, uh it's gonna suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's interesting because when I was playing Food Chain with Nick last night, uh, we played two-player, and he was saying how something he's thinking about with a lot of these like heavier games with strategy is that he doesn't like playing it, playing them two-player, because a lot of the like any mistake that he makes is going to hurt him, whereas not thinking about what someone else might do feels less painful, which I think ties into the pushing your luck because. If someone else does something that you didn't think about, or if you do this hoping someone else doesn't do something, that's mm-hmm. you know, that's also part of the player interaction. Yes, true. So, like in Hansa Teutonica, I want to go here, but I also want to go here. I'll push my luck and do this first, hoping that this spot is open for me on my next turn. Ben, what games do you have on your list of games that do this well and/or poorly? Oh man. Um... Well, going back to Shia, I think Shia is in the middle. I wouldn't say it does it well or poorly because I don't think it's a main aspect of the game, but I think I think there is enough agency on the player to decide whether or not they want to push their luck in blind jumping and being able to continue their movement versus the idea of stopping a movement, taking another action and then starting another movement because you only have so many charge cubes per engine so you are literally trying to decide like if if you're hmm if you're like two hexes away from the edge of a map tile and you roll a d12 for your engine and you roll a 12 you don't want to waste 11 of those movement points because you're stopping to explore the tile next to you. So mm-hmm. you blind jump so that you still have 11 movement points when you're done revealing the next tile. So I think that that's a cool aspect of Shia as well because it 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 does give you, you know, a reason to do it. But at the same time if you blind jump into the sun, it's not going to destroy your game. You just restart on another spawn location, which, by the way, is also random. Uh, (laughs) You just start on another spawn location with one damage cube that you can easily get rid of at some point Mm -hmm. on your your ship. It just destroys that turn. Yeah, it just destroys that turn. So you are using that turn up if you blow up your ship, but it doesn't destroy your entire game for doing so. So I think think it, it definitely... I could tell you I blind jump a lot because... If, like I said, so if you I say that it rides that line well, right? 
the I would say it rides is... the line well. I just I don't think it's a main mechanic of the game, so it, right. I wouldn't say it does it well versus poorly. I just I do I think it's right in the middle. I think it can yeah. end badly, but it can also be good, which is the whole reason for push your luck. Mm-hmm. It also has the, uh, the uh, mining or scavenging or salvaging action. Oh yeah, there is a which lot. Which is very much a push your luck. So now you that could... I think about it all to get a cube and you can roll as many times as you want um and if you roll badly bad things will happen and if you yeah. keep rolling well you'll just keep getting good things so that's, that's a good i revise my statement i think gia does a good job of pressing <laughs> i forgot about all the other little bits and pieces yes. so yeah all the dice rolling just blends together in the brain right yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right do we have any other games to mention I have a, f- a few. I'll just like run through them really fast. Um, sea Adventure is a great Clank style game where you're diving for treasure and deciding when to come back up. That's mm-hmm. a good push your luck one. I really like that. A Feast for Odin has some push your luck mechanics that work really well. The whaling and the hunting, yes. Mm-hmm. You can roll dice um, to try to succeed at the action. You can re-roll up to three times. And if you want to keep whatever role you have, then you you know you get whatever the resources are. But if you fail, you get a like a little bonus for failing. So it's not it's right. not a terrible loss, but it is a, something a consideration you need to make when you take that action. Right, especially with what your strategy is behind what you're using that resource for. Like if you're dying mm-hmm. to get this resource, you might really want to push your luck that turn. Yes. And then uh, Celestia. Oh yeah, I saw that mentioned on Board Game Geek, but I haven't played it. Oh yeah, it's a great little game where um, you're all players on this airship traveling further and further along in this fantasy world, and then each turn they can overcome the obstacle, the ship will move forward. Sorry, can you repeat that? I lost you after each turn. I'm sorry. Each turn, somebody is the captain of this airship. And when the and the captain has to deal with an obstacle. And if they <laughs> can deal with the obstacle, the ship will move forward. And if the ship doesn't move forward because they failed, everybody on the ship loses, uh, does not gain anything for that round. But you have a choice of before the captain deals with it, you can jump off the ship and take a reward. But the further the ship goes, the bigger the reward is. So it's a balance mm. of do I stay on the ship? Is the captain going to be able to overcome this obstacle? It Can you steer cool towards an iceberg and then bail? <laughs> you can totally. Um, no, you can't do that. But the captain <laughs> can just like tank it if they want. <laughs> it's a social aspect of the game, too, where mm-hmm. um, captain announced, oh, yeah, I can definitely beat this. You should stay on the ship with me. And then people mm. are like, yeah, I don't believe you. I'm going to jump <laughs> off. And he's like, well, I'm telling the truth. And the ship advances. <laughs> you know, So it's a little bit of a bluffing there. That's a lot of fun to play with, but it's definitely a push your luck game and a cute short one as well. Cool. Sounds enjoyable. All that right. That is it for my list. I think that's it for me too. Anything else to add before we uh, close out the episode, Ben? Um, no, I think, uh, I think I'm good on what I was talking about this week, but I'm going to come back with a couple more Kickstarters I'd like to mention next week. So stay tuned. And a story of Shia. Oh, that's yeah. Right. And yeah. a new story of Shia. Definitely. Hopefully your streak continues. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm honestly, I am hoping that it does. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Patrick, for joining us on this episode. 
My pleasure. And seriously, playing with you guys is great. And I'll be happy to come back anytime or play a game at any point. All right. Wonderful. We love to have you around. And uh, thank you all for listening. We will catch you next week.